G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story meeting a lady at the age of 17 and she loved me for who I was and that was pretty big for me. She was from London and she was going back home and she um, she mentioned, you know, we, we could make it a little bit more serious and maybe we could get married and we talked about this and, and even though I had that love in my life, I, I would push it away too. I was a difficult one because I was so hurt. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, James O'Neill has lived a life going in and out of drug rehabilitation centres. He was born to a 16-year-old mother and a 19-year-old father who left when he was only two. His troubled childhood included abuse of many kinds. Today, we'll hear James's journey to freedom in Christ as he has a chat with Karen Hunt from his home in Cairns. James, your story is quite extensive. Let's start from the very beginning. Where exactly were you born and bred and what do you remember most about those early years? I can remember growing up in a uh, commission flat in Brunswick in Victoria, Melbourne. I was living with my mother and uh, my my nana and my father had left from my memory. I was only two when he left. So as far back as I can remember was the times living there with mum and dad. So what was home life like? Home life was good living at the flats with Nan, but when I moved out with Mum into her own places, she would have different boyfriends. It wasn't so good. I wasn't able to get the love and attention off my Mum that I wanted. I just thank God for my Nana and my Auntie Julie too. Very supportive of me and loved me. What did you love about your Nan? What input did she have in your young life? My Nan just allowed me to be me. Yeah. Just, just to be a child and allowed to play when I wanted to play and if we went up the street to get some groceries with Nan and I wanted a chocolate bar or something, Nan would let me have one and if I couldn't finish all my dinner at dinner time, well, Nan would say alright, but Mum would say well it's not so alright, <laughs> but Nan would win and off I'd go and play and, and I'd be back in a little while and I'd be hungry again for a bit of dessert and Mum would be saying no, but Nan would be going, it's okay love <laughs> he can have some, so I love Nan and she just always I'd fall asleep in the lounge room watching TV of a night and I'd always wake up in the morning either in Nan's bed or in my bed and Nan would carry me up the stairs because at the flat there was a set of stairs to the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So Nan really and really loved me. And not saying that my mother didn't love me or my auntie, but Nan played a big role then because my mum was so young. So your mum, your mum and your dad, how did they meet? Well... As far as I know, they met at the, uh, the the swimming pools in Brunswick. Dad was a bit of a, a catch, apparently, and he had the car. And anyway, Mum and him hit it off, and, and I was conceived up in Mount Buller, apparently. So we've almost to say it wasn't by uh, choice, it was by accident. And well, my nan said, well, love, it's your choice. Whatever you choose, I will be there for you. And my mum decided to have me the baby at the age of 16. Tell us, as a little tacker at school, what was school life like and what did you enjoy? Well, I enjoyed playing sports at school. Uh, Mum moved around a lot, so I was always with a new kid at school. 
I just didn't fit in. I didn't feel like I fitted in and I would be picked on and bullied and I'd be pushed to a limit and then I would explode and hit somebody back and then I'd get caught by the teacher and I'm in trouble. So school wasn't so good and you know, even though I used to sit and watch the weather report the night before and think, well, I hope it's not going to be a hot day tomorrow because if it was hot, I'd have to wear these Roman sandals like Jesus used to wear. <laughs> Yeah. And, oh, goodness gracious me, I didn't want to wear them because I had red hair and wearing sandals, I was freckles and I would be picked on. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it's just these little things that meant a lot to me at that time. What about high school? Were you at many different high schools or? Yeah, I, I went to uh, Rosebud High School and I was expelled from there. And then I went to Germana Tech School, getting a bit of a handful and started drinking alcohol at around the age of 12 at Germana Tech. and fighting and, and I was a uh, mum got an early release from school for me and uh, I went into the workforce at the age of 13 as a brick labourer at Concrete at Wow, labourer. 13! And, uh, yeah, mum and my stepdad at that time, they just didn't have pocket money to give me and I, I, I wanted things too. I wanted to have fun like the other kids and uh, my mates and so I knew I had to work to get some money if I wanted to buy something. So so from a very young age, James, and I know you go by Jim as well, so can I call you yeah. Jim? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah by all means, yes. <laughs> we'll keep it simple, eh? <laughs> from a very young age, Jim, you were one mixed up little boy by the sound of it, yeah? Yeah, I didn't know which way to go, which way was left or which way was right, but um, I did have some dreams, yeah. I did have some dreams. You know, I wanted to be a builder or something of the sort, you know, and, and I, I had opportunities as I grew in environments where there was a lot of alcohol and drugs and I was involved with it, not so heavily, but I chose the options to do an apprenticeship and leave the group of people that were still doing the same thing and given opportunities to learn a trade and get high distinctions and get early releases and get the tradesman's wages. And, you know, and then uh, meeting a lady at the age of 17, and she loved me for who I was, and that was pretty big for me. And um, I don't know, when you, oh, <laughs> I remember Shrek, what Shrek looks like, and he's a good guy, but I always <laughs> felt like I looked like Shrek. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't fit in, and it just for someone to love me. And she was from London, and she was going back home. And she um, she mentioned, you know, we, we could make it a little bit more serious, and maybe we could get married, and we talked about this. And I thought it over, and, and I made the decision, and then I asked her, would she like to marry me? And, and she said yes, because I didn't want to lose that love that, that I had. And and even though I had that love in my life, I, I would push it away too. It was, I, was a, I was a difficult one because I was so hurt. As love came close to me and people come close, I didn't feel too comfortable with it. I'd either move away or like an old saying I've learned, hurt people, hurt people. So, yeah, I, I love a good day's work and, and now I have to look at different options other than doing the hard hard working as a plasterer. My body's got a lot of injuries. I've had some work accidents. That was hard stuff and I had the work accidents and for the employers not to believe that I was seriously hurt. Now in your story, we're up to the part where you married at a very young age. You were 18. You went to live in England with your new bride. But from what you've told me, there was a lot of baggage, a lot of stuff that you took with you into that young marriage. Could you just help us understand a little bit what happened within your childhood and teenage years? Well, just 
Without going too deep into it, Karen, there was a lot of issues that have come out over the years as I've had counselling sessions and talked about stuff in my life. I was uh, abused verbally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually and also uh, sexually by um, family members and I'm not sure how deep it all goes but, you know, this stuff and all this hurt and a lot of rejection from my father not wanting me and he remarried and had more children and moved on and not being able to get the full attention of the love of my mother that I wanted as a child. And I had a lot of hurt and a lot of anger and the rejection and the being bullied at school and then and then my, my own self of hurting myself by drinking the alcohol and the drugs and all this at an early age, which grew. It all started out fun and games, but it grew into addiction. So all this stuff was underneath this Mr. Nice Guy that when I married... Diane, we tried really hard and we did well. Um, even though she had her issues, we were able to love each other for who we were. And you know, we we bought a house, we got a mortgage, and we both worked hard and we succeeded. And, but we didn't have a great deal of friends, and I was a hard person to break through. I was I wasn't very trusting, but in giving me a few beers or a couple of whatevers, I would uh, soon be your friend and talk to you about whatever. But in all honesty. I had a uh, barrier around me that has now taken a long time for this to be uh, brought down and it's through my faith that I've been able to... So my, my my marriage only lasted nine to ten years and my me and my wife, we tried for children, IVF, and uh, it was no success. So she went her way and, and that hurt me yet again and the house was sold and all the uh, material stuff was just sold or thrown away. And, and that was the beginning of uh, another chapter of my life. Jim, was that chapter with your home, with your wife, was that in England or did you come back to Australia? We came back to Australia. We stayed in England for one year. Only one, because okay. they didn't believe it was a true marriage. They thought it was a set-up marriage, so we had to go to England and wait for them to believe. And then they give us a letter and apologise that, yes, okay, it's a legitimate marriage and yeah. we come home and, and we got on with it. So you were 18 when you married. How old was Diane? Seven years older than me. All right, yeah. so the great Australian dream was realised back here. Yeah. Where in Australia? Yeah, it was in Victoria. We When we arrived back from overseas, we lived in my auntie Jenny's place in a caravan in the backyard and my wife worked and I'd drive her to work and then I'd drop her off and I'd head off to do my day's work and then I'd go and pick her up and we'd come home and it took us 10 months of saving and we got a deposit because we paid cheap rent where we were. And, mm-hmm. But in my saving, I was still smoking a copious amounts of marijuana and copious amounts of alcohol and, mm. and um, yeah, go behind her back and I was just, I wasn't well. Um, and you were divorced yeah. at 28 years of age? Yeah, I I got the um, divorce papers sent to me when I was in prison. Yeah, well, you know, that was just a period of time when she had moved on and I went to prison because after we separated, I fell into relationships with people who were doing heroin. And so I thought, I'll give it a go. And I gave it a go and it didn't take long to form a habit on that and it, it made me really sick. I remember having my boss coming on the job one day when I was contracting and plastering and he goes, you're right, mate. And I just broke down. I said, mate, I'm not well enough to even finish this job. Can you pay me for what I've done? And I'm having trouble with the heroin. I'm on the needle. And he did do this. And then the people I was with taught me about crime and 
and we would steal and how naive was I? I would sell the stuff at cash converters in my own name with my mm, own ID. So really? I didn't make much of a um, thief and uh, so I was to be caught and then went to jail for six months and yeah and so all this sort of stuff happened after we had separated and sold the house and then my wife would get contact write letters and that and then she wanted the divorce and I said alright so she sent the papers in I signed them and sent them back to her and, and always deep down inside me I thought and hoped that maybe we could get rekindle things and get on with it you know 14 years later now I've learned that that was a chapter in my life and I learned from that You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with James O'Neill, commonly known as Jim, who's lived a life going in and out of drug rehabilitation centres. Unfortunately, as we just heard, his heart was broken after his marriage ended. Next, we'll hear how God enters his life and helps him turn things around. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with James O'Neill, commonly known as Jim, who had a troubled childhood filled with abuse of various kinds, and he spent much of his life going in and out of drug rehab centres. Next, we're going to hear the rest of his story. James, can I ask you, where was God in the picture in that season of your life, in your mind? He was... He was right there inside me. He was right there next to me and he was right there carrying me. Now I look back in hindsight, I've always been cared for and looked after and opportunities come my way and I just couldn't see it then because I was too too blinded by, well, you know, I believe in God and, and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit filled my faith, given me life. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely sure there's a devil in the world too and... Um, I've been through hell and he had control of me. So I was dictated to whatever he would have me say and put through my mind and people would come in my path and opportunities would arise and he would dress things up and say, isn't this look nice? And I'd mm. try it and then, yeah. He does try that every now and then now and I just say, well, no, thank you. I've tried it and you let me down. You weren't there to back me up. Mm. I know deep in my heart and my soul, if I fall short and I need help or if I'm going really good, my Lord that liveth in me is always there with me. He's always there. He's everywhere. I look in people's eyes. He's everywhere around. He's, I look at the trees. I hear the birds. God's got a hand on everything. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I can see a whole heap differently these days. Amen. Jim, the streets as such, not such a good place. The whole cycle of crime and poverty got to you, didn't it? Oh, terribly, terribly exhausting. And it creates fear, a lot of fear and anxiety and depression and guilt, shame, remorse. Uh, wanting more drugs to quieten all this stuff down, a very noisy mind, and unpredictable people around, and being very unpredictable oneself, and, you know, getting money on a payday or something, and, and the first thing first would be a drug, and then a packet of smokes, and then uh, maybe a beer to finish it off, and then, oh, well, maybe I'll better pay some rent or food, or, well, maybe I'll just go homeless and save the money. For- so speaking of home, 
you came to find out that your biological mother was in Western Australia. Is that yes. where you went to next? Well, uh, yes. I, I tried to rekindle with my wife after I got out of prison and she didn't want to. So I decided to phone mum and said, mum, I need to get away from Melbourne, from the heroin. And she said, well, come over to me, the son. And I went to WA. And that was great for a little while until I got into the city of Perth. You know, I, I got involved with other people doing stuff there. It's all around Australia. And I just kept bumping into it because I was following two masters. And I know which master had control of me the most at the time. But now I know which uh, masters won. Yeah, I've travelled around Australia like a lost soul for 14 years. I've tried my best and then I've let people down, people who've trusted me and my, my sinning and my greed. Um, you know, the last one for me being um, without all this drug abuse and all this child abuse sexually and all this, like for a man, I've, for me it's been very difficult and I've just come to terms with it at the age of 42 recently. And I don't want to hurt anybody, you know, and I don't like being hurt anymore. I seem like to be a whole new different person now. Just recently I said to the Lord, I was lighting a cigarette up. I said, God, Jesus, please, I can't smoke these anymore. Can you help me let these go, please? And Sure enough, since that day, I haven't had a cigarette. My mother reminds me, I say, how long is it, Mum? And she goes, well, it's a bit over a month now. I go, oh, well, okay. I'm a simple kind of guy, and I like it that way. And um, I just uh, live one day at a time, sweet Jesus. Jim, tell us about the day you saw the light, literally, Sun City Church in Geraldton, WA. How did you come to be there? What was your connection? That was there. On the weekends, we are allowed to go out after being in the rehab through the week, doing our group sessions and counselling and, and learning. So on a Sunday, I'd attend church. Anyway, time come after being offered to be baptised, and me and another guy did. We went through it. It was amazing. It wasn't so different at that time, mm-hmm. not just jumping in a pool, but <laughs> a lady came up to me afterwards and said, yes, she could see a brand new baby, and, and I thought, well, that's amazing. Anyway, where it really hit me is when I, after church, went back to the rehab, I was walking down the street, and um, people were looking at me. I don't know these people, and they're all looking at me, smiling, and some saying hello, and, and I thought for a moment, am I famous or something's happened? <laughs> And I went home, I went home and I looked in the mirror, without a doubt my eyeballs had changed, there's something (laughs) in my eyes. And then I was told from the same people at the church, they said, well listen to this son, Pastor Graham Fabian said it's he that liveth in you, (laughs) stronger than he that liveth in the world. You know our eyes reflect our heart, Jim, don't you? I do. (laughs) Obviously that's what was being seen. And it's just... uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I was being welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. You had heart surgery. Amazing, Grace. <laughs> yes. And it's gone even deeper. Cause I've, I've ran away and I've ran away at times. I've been fearful of the future and of the past. And I'm just here to stay today. And he's just doing some deep heart surgery. I mean, it's still moulding me. And it's just so amazing. I'm making some friends for life and you know, I love to go out and eat with my brothers and sisters at these food vans, Rosie's food vans, that go to the food parks and feed the homeless and the hungry. And I'm a volunteer there, and I just, I just have a heart for these kind of people because they're my kind of people. And yeah, I can feel a bit of emotion coming there. <laughs> Everyone deserves a chance, and everybody deserves 
for this story to be heard. Jim, what a story. You are really precious and God knows the plans and the path that he has for you. Tell us, where did you go to after Geraldton and how is it that you came to now be in Cairns? Well, to be honest with you, Karen, I, it's all been a bit of a blur to me because I've moved around so much that uh, uh, after the uh, baptism, wherever I'd moved to, I would reach out for help, whether it be with mental health, a church, Lifeline was a wonderful thing too. Tell us about Darwin. You actually were in Darwin for a time and it was there that you did some kind of course that had a good impact on you? At a a church called My Church, it was an amazing experience there on a human level and also on a spiritual level. There was a lot of people being healed before my eyes. There was a course offered to me and I did the course. It was about being taught about stuff in the Book of Lives, the Bible, Mm -hmm. and um, it's just great. You know, I go along the Esplanade in the mornings now. I say hi to the locals and the tourists. I don't have to pick up a smoke today and cigarette. I don't have to put needles in my arms. I don't have to drink alcohol or worry about chasing any of that marijuana and all this stuff. I'm free under the uh, wings of the Lord. I used to think it was a weak way, but now I know and believe holy and solely is the only way. So no more booze, no more drugs, no more crime for you? Giving up the booze and the one night. Bands and <laughs> oh, music, there's so much in the music I hear, it's the language of the heart. So do you have friends and family in Cairns these days now? I don't have any blood family relatives really. The only ones that are left which are connected is my mother and she's down the bottom of Queensland and my auntie and uh, my auntie's husband. I'm praying for some new great friends for you. Jim, God bless you, hey, as you continue on your journey. I pray strength and courage and an ongoing commitment to the things of God to keep you on track. God bless you, hey. Keep your eyes up. Look to the one who matters most. Amen. Look above the storm, not above (laughs) the storm. Thank you, Karen. Oh, thanks for sharing today. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Jim O'Neill who's been on quite a journey, both physically and spiritually. As we heard, he's moved around to several different locations in his life, and spiritually, he's gone from despondency and pain to having a hope and a future with Jesus Christ. We pray that he continues to heal from the abuse of his childhood, and that he also continues to grow in his faith. Well, if you're listening today and you can relate to any of Jim's story, we'd love to pray for you. Our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. Once again, that's 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us for Jim's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I went to see these women. Now, I'm telling them a bit of my story and they're praying and then all of a sudden I switch. And what I mean by that is a kind of different part of me came up. And this part, which is just a part of my brain, kind of just switched into gear and it's like a teenage part who just has this belief system that it's all her fault, the abuse. Donna was so severely traumatised by the ritual abuse she experienced as a child that she began to experience a multiple personality disorder as an adult. This sometimes occurs in extreme cases when the mind tries to avoid bad memories. We'll hear Donna's amazing journey to healing next time. 
the story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.